Are you ready for the word? All righty. Well, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we must recognize the, honestly, the greatest difference between following Christ and all other religions is that in Christ, our salvation was completely finished. Uh, All others say you must do, 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 but Jesus said it is done. It is finished. And Jesus did all that needed to be done for our salvation, and then he leaves us with a choice to choose to accept what he has done or reject it. It's either the truth or it's not. How many of you know there's no in-between with Jesus? You, you can't be a little bit in. It's like saying I'm semi-pregnant. You, you're either pregnant or you're not, right? And uh, so you're either alive or you're dead. You, you, there can't be in-between. Either you believe in Christ or you don't. And uh, listen to what Jesus said about his death and his resurrection in John 10, verse 17. He said this, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority. Somebody say the authority. authority. Watch this. To lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Paul writes in the book of Colossians and he says these words in in Colossians 2 verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. If you're a believer today, you're a believer because you trusted in what God has done in raising Jesus from the dead. Then he says, here's why. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Now, the greatest challenge we have in this life is the fact that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, when it comes to God and the things of God, they say, well, Henny, you know, this is all good and dandy, but, you know, why all the pain? Uh, why, why, why the pain that we are subjected to? And for some, the pain drives them away from God. And, and uh, they point to the pain of this life as proof that God does not exist. And that we are simply a, a product of evolutionary processes. And all that we are and all that we experience has no purpose, has no rhyme, has no reason, and has no meaning. Uh, because if God was good, they say, then we would not experience pain. And uh, if God was good, we will not experience loss. And if God was good, we would not be suffering. And if God was all-powerful, you know, why does he not stop all of this? All the bad that has happened. And maybe, maybe that's a personal thing for you. Maybe bad that has happened in your own life. And uh, we know that God is all-powerful. And we know that God is absolutely good. But we also understand that God is absolutely loving. Let me explain this to you. What, what, what would be better... Would it be better complete non-existence or existence with choice? Would it be better not to exist at all? Or would it be better to exist and we have a choice in the matter? The all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present creator of the the universe uh, steps into our place of what? Pain. Pain that was caused by mankind. And what does he do? He redeems us back so that we can see the full measure of his love. Easter reminds us that death has lost its sting and that the grave has been robbed of its power. Why? Because Jesus willingly stepped into our pain and he finishes once and for all the work that needed to be done. I want you to understand this morning, those of you watching online, those of you in this room, that Jesus is not aloof when it comes to your pain. God is not, uh, God is not advising you from a distance. 
You know, I, I know there's a great old spiritual song we used to sing from a distance. God is watching you. I, I want you to know that God is not from a distance. Are you with me, somebody? God is not aloof when it comes to what you and I experience. God is not distant when it comes to our pain. As a matter of fact, when we read the gospel and understand the gospel, it is absolutely the opposite is true. Jesus does what? He steps into our pain, a pain that was first and foremost not caused by God or ordained by God, but pain that was brought through our own sin and disobedience. Our disobedience caused us to be in the position we are in. I want, you, I want to take you back. I know it's, it's Easter Sunday, but sometimes, you know, we are quickly to shout, but we don't understand sometimes when we are going through the melee of the difficulty of life and, and the questions that we have. I want to take you back to the cross in Matthew 27, and I want you to hear these words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Listen to what it says in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard said, the man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered him to, him to drink. The rest said, let him alone, let us see if Elijah comes to save him. Now, I, I, wanna, I want you to understand this moment. Just picture this moment uh, with me uh, this morning. There's, there's complete darkness. And the moment of darkness is lifted. Suddenly, it was dark for three hours. Nobody could do anything. And suddenly, the darkness is lifted. And then Jesus speaks. He speaks words that cause an immediate response from the onlookers and words that will echo throughout eternity. His words are both revelatory and fulfilling. The words he speaks helps us to get a glimpse of the experience that Jesus goes through while he was veiled in darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you just take those words and in and of it by itself and you don't understand the context of those words, you might get a, a total misunderstanding. Jesus is not saying that the Father has forsaken him. Jesus is doing something completely different. The words are revelatory. Why? Because they reveal the depth of sacrifice and the measure of judgment on the cross. The sacrifice of God in the flesh, who's made the very object of judgment of our sin. But the words are also fulfilling. Why? Because they come directly from Scripture. What Jesus is doing, it is, it's a classic thing that Jewish rabbis would do. Jewish rabbis would quote maybe a first part of a psalm and the last part of the psalm and, and the, in reference to the full psalm. What Jesus is doing here, he's quoting the first few verses of Psalm 22. God, my God, why would you abandon me now? David wrote Psalm 22 as a, as a psalm of lament. And a psalm of lament is, is a psalm when, when you are in such pain and such agony and, and, and such difficulty and, 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 and you don't know what else to do and, and you don't know what else to say. It is a, I won't say it's a complaining psalm, but how many of you know it's a psalm that cries out in your complaint? It's a psalm that says, God, I don't understand what's going on. God, I don't understand what's going on around me. God, I don't understand why I have to suffer this pain. God, I don't understand why you have subjected me to what I am going through. And that's how David is feeling in this place. The agony of the cross is not just seen in the words that Jesus speaks, but also in how others respond to what he said. 
I, I want you to note what happens here. There's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a change, a transition at the cross. In one moment, they go from mocking him to the next moment from going, hey, we want to hear what he has to say. You say, Henny, you, you know, you, you're stretching this. No, I'm not stretching As You will see uh, that the Bible says after this, after Jesus had died, the crowds leave in sorrow, which gives us some insight to the grief that the voice of Jesus cries out. Then suddenly, what do they want to do? They want to hear what he has to say. How do I know this? They offer him a drink that would give him clarity of mind. Sour wine drugged with myrrh, and, and this is what Jesus was offered. Now look what Mark 15:23 says. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but what did he do? He Help me. He One more time. So the first time he was offered something to drink, what does Jesus do? I just gave you the answer. Let's try it again. <laughs> Not a trick question. The first time Jesus was offered something to drink, what did he do? He refused it. Twice on the cross, Jesus was offered something to drink. The first drink was wine drugged with myrrh. Now, this drink was given as an act of mercy that was paid by an association of Jewish women in Jerusalem to those who were being crucified. It was a way of, of lessening the consciousness. Uh, myrrh was given as a, 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 as, a, as a soothing agent. They actually sold myrrh for that so that you don't feel the effects of the pain. But guess what Jesus does? He refuses this drink. He was determined to face the agony and the pain of the cross fully conscious. Fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 50 that says, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. Jesus set his face like a flint stone. Now, flint stone is very hard, and if you strike it uh, against the metal, it'll, it'll cause a spark. If you think Sylvester Stallone was the first Rocky, you are mis totally mistaken. You are wrong. Jesus is and will forever be our rock. Jesus refuses to take the easy way out. And then John comes along and he writes these incredible words. Listen to these words. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. John makes a profound statement. And he says this. He says, Jesus knew everything that needed to be done to fulfill scripture was done. Then he speaks and says, I am thirsty. They offered then Jesus a wine vinegar or sour wine. Now, this drink is made out of grape juice and yeast. It was used as a refreshing drink by soldiers and by farm workers. It was an inexpensive way, uh, and it was better than water to refresh a person or to quench your thirst. They soak a sponge, and then they lift it up to Jesus' mouth in order to do this. Uh, they use the stalk of a hyssop plant, and Jesus refuses the first drink, wine, drugged with myrrh, but he accepts the second drink, wine, vinegar. Now watch what John says here. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge in a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said these words. What words did he say? Three words. It is. Let's try it again. One more time. 
And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I believe that Jesus drinks a second drink for two reasons. First, he drinks because what follows completely fulfills scripture. Yeast is used in the Bible as a symbol for sin. And Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb because he has no sin within himself. By drinking the fermented wine vinegar, Jesus shows that he has now taken the sin of the world upon himself. In Leviticus 14, we see that hyssop was used for the ceremonial cleansing of people and of places. David, after he sinned in Psalm 51, prays this prayer, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The blood of the lambs was applied to the doorpost during Passover, and once the blood was applied, no one was allowed to go out until the next morning. By going through the door that has the blood of the lamb applied to it, the Israelites are saved. We, by going through the door which is Christ, receive forgiveness of our sins through his blood, and the Holy Spirit applies the blood of Jesus in our lives, and he acts like a divine hyssop that cleanses us completely. Secondly, Jesus drinks to make a proclamation that everyone could hear. Just like a soldier that has now completed his orders from his commanding officer, Jesus drinks. Just like a worker that has finished planting the seeds for a harvest, Jesus drinks. Jesus, our victorious champion, has won the battle on the cross. Jesus, the promised seed that would crush the serpent's head, is finished. Just like the father prophesied in Genesis 3.15. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you your head and you shall bruise his heel. The head of the serpent is crushed on the cross. Galatians 3 16 says this, the promises were spoken to Abram and to his seed, which is singular. Scripture does not say to seeds, multiple, meaning many people, but as to seed, meaning one person who is Christ. He is the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent and forevermore we are delivered from the power of sin if we apply it in our lives. Jesus wanted all to hear. John makes it clear that Jesus knew what was going on around him. He's not in a derelict, semi-conscious state. He's very much aware. He knows he is the Passover lamb. He knows he is the door. He knows we all need to hear these words. It is finished. I don't know about you, but can you feel the weight of these words? I want them to, to sink into your soul this morning. What is finished? The old is finished. The blood of bulls and goats are no longer necessary. No more waiting in line to make an offering. How many of you know that's good news? No more waiting for the high priest to show up or disappear behind the veil. And then breathe a sigh of relief. We are saved for another year. No longer is God's presence limited to a temple. We are now his temple. Jesus completely fulfills all and every requirement of the law. Everything that I could not do, no matter how hard I try, what does he do? He nails it to the cross. Look at the a couple of verses in Colossians 2. We read the first 12 and 13. Look at 14 and 15. He canceled the record of the charges against who? And took it away by doing what? So the first few verses talks about the resurrection. And now he talks about nailing him to the cross. In this way, somebody say in this way. 
If you think there was not a battle on the cross and you don't understand the cross, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. If your heart is heavy this morning of guilt, the guilt maybe of your own sin, remind yourself it is finished. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him he is finished. Yes, Jubilee has come. Freedom for the captives has come. The weight of my own sin is dealt with at the cross. Our champion has finished the battle and won. Just like a champion, Jesus Jesus finished with a victory's cry. How does he do it? He started by quoting the first verse of Psalm 22, and he finishes by quoting the last. See if you recognize these words. Psalm 22, verses 30 and 31. Are you ready for them? Are you sure you are? Put your seatbelts on because if you don't shout after this, you're probably spiritually dead. Watch what he says. His spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation yet to be born will what? Glorify him. And they will all declare... Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he fully deals with our pain problem. He steps into our pain. He bears it with a consciousness that you cannot imagine. And then he overcomes it by being raised from the dead. The thing we fear the most, which is death, now loses its sting. What is the sting of death? It is sin. Sin is obliterated at the cross and freedom for the captives are declared. It is finished and one day all pain will be vanquished. Every tear will be dried and we will declare this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in his sight for he is the great I am. Today. If you're in a place and you say, Henny, I'm in this place of pain and I don't know how am I going to navigate through it. I want you to know the I am is with you. You say, I hurt. Who's going to comfort me? I am. Who could possibly be smart enough to figure all of this out? I am. I'm going under. Somebody help me. I am. What works? I am. Who is the answer? I am. What is the hope I have? I am. Nothing is real anymore. I am. Who's going to last? I am. I feel empty inside. Who will fill me? I am. I'm not sure who's on my side. I am. Nobody is listening to me. I am. I can't hold it together anymore. Who can I trust? I am. Who's going to take care of us? I am. Who will be there when everybody is gone? I am. I've given everything, but it's never enough. I am. Somebody just hold me. I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the same yesterday. I am the same today. I am the same forever. I am the solution. I am the sustainer. I am the restorer. I am the life giver. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the first. I am the last. I am God and there is no one beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I am that I am and that is my name. That is my memorial to every generation. I am God. 
And just to top it off, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. In the midst of your challenge, in the midst of your pain, when you think that God is absent, I want you to know he is the great I am. And he will comfort you and demonstrate to you his great love. Who is on your side? I am.